Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episodes of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Sano, joined... <laughs> I can't even say it without laughing. Jo- joined, as always, by the Zach to my Nomi, it's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? <laughs> I'm pissed off all the time for no reason, apparently, if that's my character. And our very own Crystal, it's Eric Ronovec. Eric. Well, I, uh, where do I start here? Uh, just find me a poll so I can be sexy around it and I'm at home. All right. Uh, so our, um, our, we're coming off a week where I think that Seahawks fans had a, an expectation, right? We expected a good football game. And in the first half, or that, that we came out of the, out of the first half, uh, tied 14, 14, and then all, uh, Seahawks broke out. And it looked like it was going to be uh, a cruise, just an, an easy ride to the end, Eric. And then not so fast, my friend. What were what were you feeling as the the lead just kind of slipped away? What was it? <laughs> what, what was your mental state? The best part about this is I was so I was downstairs watching the game, and uh, my wife wanted to watch some show, and I'm like, no, 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 it's fine. You're not into this game, and I got a I got a TV upstairs. So I, I go upstairs and I load it up and it's through the NBC app on Roku. And it is about a minute and 30 minute 30 seconds behind. So that's problematic. I, yeah. So when I go upstairs, I'm like, oh, that that scene that I that play that I really wanted to watch. I get to watch, you know, a bunch of things again. And the end of the game between trying to not be in the discord and not look at the, the score on my phone and watching it live was the most like. Could you hear your neighbors like yelling every once in a while too? Or, well, okay, no? the best. Oh, the best part also to start the game. I'm doing some some yard work, and I'm like, I think I have more time. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I hear my knit the kid uh, next door. He just yells, "Oh my god!" And I was like, <laughs> so in instantly in my brain, I'm like, oh, uh, did uh, Belichick like uh, get? Is he like a Patriots fan and Belichick somehow got ejected? Maybe that's what happened. And I came in to see the score was seven, nothing Patriots. So yeah, the end of this, I was torn in three different directions and I made myself watch, like watch the last, I tuned everything out. I watched the last play, um, relieved, but we kind of called this in the preseason. This is how every game could be going for us. Shootouts. Well- and another thing too is, is like we said in our game preview, right? That the Patriots um, were going to do the Seahawks game plan, keep the game close, grind it out, and then try to win on the last drive. They executed the twenty, what is it? Would be twenty nineteen Seahawks game plan to a T, right? Yes. They got them. They they kept the game close enough. They got in a position where they could win the game at the end, and they fell, you know, one yard short or whatever. And uh, that, I think that that. You know, respect to them, for one, because I think that they played a good football game. And uh, respect to us, too, because Russell Wilson, can you win the game in the third quarter? Absolutely. They came out in the third quarter and they kind of took a big enough lead that it w- it made it really difficult for the Patriots to come back and gave us the cushion that we needed to not have to, you know, to we had to sweat it, but we still had to, we were, we were the team in the driver's seat, right? We had, they had to come to us. And so gave our defense the opportunity to win the game and they did it. I was very pleased. Uh, Kevin, how's your heart feeling? Was, was your heart rate up? Uh, I think at the end of the game, I said it was a, a nice Pepto and whiskey game, um, just like we were used to last season. Uh, the more I looked over it and the more I did show prep, the more it made me think about the games against San Francisco last year, the two where the team came up just short. And I feel like this game was a lot like that game where it was kind of one of those, like, however they could get unlucky, they got unlucky whatever bounces could go against him kind of went against him. Um, you know, the, the penalty calls were very one-sided when you just look at penalty count. Um, there were a lot of like kind of 50 fifties that just didn't go Seattle's way. And Seattle still managed to win, even if it was a close one. That's why I kind of get irritated when people go, well, you know, it came down to this one last play and that was the difference. And you're sitting there like, yeah, but they they need like four hundred things to go right to get to that last play. Yeah, the, the I mean, if yeah, if, if Russ doesn't have a, a an easy one, bounce off Greg Olson's hands into the waiting arms of the defensive back for a touchdown, then the whole game is yeah, you're right. It's an easy easy game, easy life, right? Yeah, so, or if um, you know, in the fourth quarter, 
if Edelman or if uh, Adam's strip of Edelman on the one yard line, if that counts as a strip, then it was over before that. Or if um, Carson, instead of sliding, lowers his shoulder and gets the first down on that last offensive drive, there's a good chance the clock gets run out. Like, there's so many little things like that. Yeah, it's just and we got one first down at the end of, on the last drive ends the game immediately. Uh, well, let's do a single play breakdown, okay? Well, we uh, I watched this play about a, a thousand times, and I think it's a, just a really interesting play. Um, so I try, and one thing I'll tell you guys about myself is I try really hard not to absorb too much Seahawks media in between uh, the end of the game and the recording of this podcast, just because I I want all my takes to be my own. Yes. Okay. So I I've tried really hard. So. Things I like about this play one is that like right off the bat, Bobby shoots the gap and like pushes and makes Shaq Mason into like uh, extra like guy in Cam Newton's way. So he shoots the gap and now Cam has only one way to run. And a lot of times these are like these running plays that they run where he holds the ball and kind of runs slow. They're like choice plays, right? Where he like can kind of choose which gap he wants to try to dive through. So he now now he can only go one way. And then and then Lano Hill and LJ Collier, two of the most unexpected heroes are like just waiting for him, right? Just waiting to, to destroy Cam Newton over there. And it's like. It's like Bobby forced the play over that direction. Cam had only one way to go. And then LJ and Leno, they were there to clean it up. And it's just like, it was the most, um, it was the most exciting play of the season so far, for sure. The fourth down uh, bomb to DK is probably second right now, but that is, it was just unbelievable defensive effort. And our defense has not looked good other in, other than in run defense this year. That's the secondary has struggled. Um, we've given up a lot of passing yards so far. Um, I think we've given up, 49 plays of 10 yards or more which is insane that's way too many and when we talk about toxic differential this is something that Pete Carroll's always trying to reduce and we are just getting killed in it right now so I'm I'm a little uh, the defense is frustrating me right now but I think that that uh that particular play it was a good example of when, the way things can go right and the way that our defense is going to be tough to run on all year it's tough sledding we got guys Bobby Jamal that can just shoot these gaps and make and just blow the whole play up before it even gets started. And so, I really hope so because you you threw a lot of information out there. But on one hand, I was thinking we faced some some really solid quarterbacks this year, and Matt Ryan and Cam Newton are guys who can at least rack up yardage and who know how to sling the ball. So I'm thinking maybe that that'll afford us a break later on. But then I think, have we really faced a good running back? like a, a really good running team? And the answer to that is no. So I'm kind of wondering, Nathan, are you worried about that? Because it's it's in the back of my mind. Like, it's kind of picking at me with what I mean, we've been doing. You know, Cam, like, Newton, Cam Newton is a good rusher, you know, like, and we saw it on those goal line plays, those two goal line touchdowns. He has the ability to become uh, borderline unstoppable. He had nine rushing attempts in this game and five of them went for first downs. And in the first game, it was similar to that where almost over half of his runs go for first downs. He's really tough to stop in short yardage situations. And the Seahawks defense came up big there because they have the the raw talent to do so. And uh, I think that that's pretty cool. Now, like I said, I, I think it was a kind of an all over the place effort, especially in terms of coverage. A lot of guys got burned a lot of times in this game. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, but, but I just think against the run, this is a team that we're not going to get beat on the ground. And if our corners and maybe if Quandre Diggs doesn't get ejected, yeah. this could be, this could be a, we could have cruised in this game. You know, it, the secondary, they don't have to be great if they can just make a couple turnovers a game, you know, like the Quentin Dunbar pick huge play, enormous play really turned the game a little bit for us. We just need the deep defensive backs to make a couple, make some plays like that. You know, get those toxic differential plays, and if we get dinked and dunked a little bit, it doesn't matter. Our offense is good enough that they're gonna they're gonna make up for it on the other side. So, all right, Kevin, you want to start offense or defense? What do you want to do first? Uh, you know, let's go. Let's go with dessert. Let's go with the offense first. All right, Kevin, what what do you what did you what do you notice on offense? What's the first thing that stuck out to you? Uh, the big thing that stuck out to me was just how unstoppable this offense looked. I think we all have all the respect in the world for a Bill Belichick defense and the talent level for the defensive backs on this team is really high and it just didn't matter. Russ could make any throw that he wanted to make. They got carved up by Chris Carson. Like Russ was 21 for 28 and that included two drops um, and two throwaways. 
So if you eliminate the drops and the throwaways, he was 21 for 24. It's, um, you know, in the in deep passing, he was three for four for 110 and three touchdowns. In the middle, he was seven for eight for 80 yards and a touchdown in the 10 to 20 range. Like, if you blitzed him, he killed you. If you got him under pressure, didn't matter. And I think another thing that was really interesting was watching the way the offensive line played. So if we go into offensive line play, um, a couple things about uh, notes about individuals. Uh, Ethan Posich has been showing to me that he's a great second level run blocker. The more I look at him, if he kind of helps to an inside run and then gets on a linebacker, He's really, really good in that role, which is a nice role for a center in the type of run blocking scheme that we run. Uh, Lewis pops off the tape in run blocking. Uh, Ayapati can't pull anymore. We need to stop having Ayapati pull or move because he's on the ground all the time when he does. And then something that I know you mentioned, Nathan, the center right guard right tackle, as well as the left guard center right guard, Whenever there's an exchange of blockers and pass blocking, there's a communication issue right there. And that's one of those things that I think will get cleaned up over time. So I'm actually really encouraged by the blocking. And I think that the skill position players on this team are just lights out. Like, no one could stop DK. Uh, Shoddy is scheming up these really interesting plays. On the Swain touchdown, Lockie came out of the backfield, which basically threw the entire right side of the defense into disarray. And it allowed Swain to just come wide open on a drag route. Uh, it's yeah, it's this is this is just kind of a win button type of offense. All right, you want to hear uh, you want to hear something uh, fun, maybe a fun fun fact. So uh, the passing the passing rating against for uh, for Stephon Gilmore was one forty three point eight. That was his highest since week ten of twenty eighteen. I went and looked up that game. Corey Davis went off on Stephon Gilmore in that game. Seven, <laughs> seven catches on 10 targets for 125 yards and a touchdown. The legend, Corey Davis. So, uh, yeah, that was the – well, honestly, Corey Davis, raw skills, skill-wise, kind of good, but but uh, just kind of a silly, uh, silly fact. Stephon Gilmore, though, got his lunch eaten by DK Metcalf, who was the only skill position player other than Russ to get all 63 snaps in this game. Uh, I think DK has made the leap. He is the number one receiver now. Uh, not saying that that's nothing against Tyler Lockett, who was excellent in this game. I just think DK is established as if there's going to be one wide receiver on the field, it's probably going to be DK. And that's a, that's, that's a big step for the young man. You know, it's a, it's a big step forward. I think that's really cool. So um, it's, it's hard, to, it's hard to talk too much about rest, but I mean the deep throwing three for four, uh, on the deep throws two, uh, three touchdowns on the three receptions that were made. Um, when he was blitzed in this game, he was good seven for 11. When he was under pressure, he was five for eight with four touchdowns. That is insane. I don't know any, I, I think you just can't say it. You can't take your hat off of for him in enough different ways, right? It's, it was just an incredible performance by Russell Wilson, something that, uh, well, I mean, it's becoming uh, it's becoming a pattern now. The MVP campaign is on, right? Yes. Well, then the yards per attempt too, right? Like he's not just dinking and dunking; like he's like he's throwing the ball down the field and still maintaining that high level of accuracy. What about the five scrambles for thirty nine yards too? Those, I mean, he's he's killing teams with his legs. Still, it's not like the yards have gone away. Uh, four first downs on those five scrambles too. Just a an excellent rate there. I I I don't know. The Carf- scrambles feel wiser this year, like. He's not he's not watching the line collapse in on himself. He's he's knowing where to run, where to jut in, when to jut out. Um, the pass protection feels uh, like it's helping him see the sight lines. I'm really happy with how everything's looking there. Good jump up for Chris Carson up from up from six attempts to 17 rushing attempts. Got 72 yards, uh, no touchdowns today, but still a, a really good performance. I think he grinds it out 3.12 yards after contact per attempt. So 53 of his 72 yards came after contact. Got a another receiving touchdown too. Yeah, got got in the end zone uh, towards the end of the game. Yeah, that wheel route was sick. That was really nice. <laughs> he's he's got good hands, man, and and I think it's been interesting to see. Uh, him he's he's kind of the third down back now right like we saw what Carlos Hyde does when he blocks 
<laughs> that, that play, dude. Ch- Chase Carlos Hyde. Chase Winovich just comes around the edge, and Carlos Hyde's there, and he's like, Car- "You could tell Carlos Hyde. He's like, he's like, I gotta go for it, you know, like I gotta get in here." And so he goes, like he's gonna, he's gonna jump into him, you know. He really puts his body out there. Chase Winovich just grabs him and throws him away like a like a trash, you know, like a piece of garbage. Is uh, he jumped prof- out like it was a surprise birthday party and just got blown out? Pro, pro Football Focus uh, pass block rating for Carlos Hyde on his one pass block in this game. 0.0 out of 100. So uh, that's the, I, I don't know if you know this, but that's the worst that you can only have. go up from here. Yeah, it's only up for Carlos Hyde from this point forward. Freddie Swain got a touchdown, uh, which I think many people in the Discord were excited about. And also Brett, uh, who did, <laughs> Brett made a parlay of Freddie Swain touchdown and Seahawks win, which is the, the silliest parlay I've ever, I've seen recently. But, uh, Freddie Swain, Freddie Swain looking, uh, looking pretty, pretty good out there. Uh, I think. He's uh he's establishing himself as someone who at least is a is a you know a rotation player, a good fifth wide receiver for the Seahawks. You gotta love it. David Moore hey, got, in t- got in the end do, zone. Do you want to talk about your man da- uh, David Moore? Man, yeah, I love. I said it to my wife when he scored. I was like, oh, I love it when David Moore shuts me up. I love being <laughs> shut up by my players that I that I rag on. Like you know, Ricardo Lockett and Alec, Alex Bannister never did it. So David Moore just coming in with the perfect toe tap. I was like, was is that David Moore? Oh my gosh. So uh hey man, just keep it up. Get that money next year. And one Nathan, what do you think all that pre-snap motion too? Yeah, a lot of pre-snap motion. And one thing I noticed um just in the game is that the Seahawks, they definitely saw something on tape. They didn't use tight ends hardly at all. I think a tight end. I think it was one tight end catch in the game, right? Was it one? Yeah, it was Disley had one, and then Olsen. I mean, Olsen was Olsen's resulted in a catch. Yeah, great. Oh, let's not talk about it. And then, <laughs> and then they did everything was like a short, like a short pass or a long pass. And I think that they just saw something on tape that said like, "This is how we can beat these guys." You know, they they did it. And one thing I like, I said it last week, and I just want to keep seeing it is I want this offense to change based on what they think they can do to beat the other team. Whether that's running, long passing, short passing, whatever it is, I want them to. They need. I like it when we make adjustments to beat them, and we don't just try to jam our our offense down their throat. And we're like, this is what we do. We run the football. Like that is that's old, stupid mentality that doesn't work. And it looks like right now, Booth Booth Shoddy man, Booth Shoddy's got the vision. He's got the eagle eye. He can look down from the booth and he just sees the defense sees what they're giving us and he's just like calling the plays calling them down to rust rust and it's just like it's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful thing to watch uh booth shoddy has uh made the leap i'm all in on booth shoddy it feels like the old direct tv versus cable meme <laughs> with, uh, with shoddy shoddy on the field no no it's a it's a it's a drake meme a verbal meme drake drake with the no hand uh and it's a shoddy on the field and then drake with the finger pointing that's a shot shoddy in the booth shoddy that's it <laughs> I don't have any good things to say about this offense, but let's talk about the offensive line. Um, I would say uh, run blocking is great. I I don't really have any qualms about the run blocking. The run blocking looks good. Um, When we choose to run, that is not a problem. Pass blocking, kind of a mixed bag. I do think that uh, particularly Damian Lewis seems to be having trouble communicating. And I think as time goes on, this is a product of rookie player with talent, no preseason. So now we have rookie player who's really talented, but he had no preseason. He's working with a guy, Posich, who, I mean, Posich did also go to LSU. They've probably met before the season started, but they, but they definitely don't, haven't played a lot together. And so they, they come in and they have to, they have to figure it out a little bit and it, it leads to, it leads to mistakes and both, um, I think that they both gave up multiple pressures in this game. Yeah. Posich had two and Lewis had three pressures allowed and that's just, I mean, I mean, it's just going to be part of the growing pains, but they both run blocked well and they both make plays at times. They just are making mistakes right now. And I think over time that that gets cleaned up as these guys play together. You're going to see those guys because athletically they look great, to be honest with you. Uh, Damian Lewis has plays where he pops off and Ethan Posich can stand up to anyone in the middle, which is something that I mean, it's great to see from your center. He's he's huge. A large man. I didn't realize like how big Ethan Posich is. That's a big dude to be playing center. So it's like nice because like last year we saw like in the Rams game, Aaron Donald made uh, <clears throat> Joey Hunt into a speed bump. That's not going to happen to Ethan. Hey, Posich. Carlos hided him. Yeah, Ethan Posich is going to be like not so fast, my friend. I'm huge. <laughs> yeah, it's so. kind of like having Max Unger at center. 
Like it's a guy who's just like offensive line big, not just like center good sized. Yeah, no, he's like what I think he and the media guy we got him at six six three twenty. That guy's and, like uh, six foot seven. Trust me. Yeah. He's big. He's a big boy. So I, yeah, like I said, I think over time those those miscommunications and the the mistakes that those guys on this on the right side are making, uh, will will clean themselves up. Uh, Shell had I one penalty. To get really nerdy about it, do you guys? Shell ha- yeah, but let me just say this: Shell had yep. one penalty, and Shell, you have one job: be a Fetty without penalties. So fix it, okay? Because <laughs> honestly, you are really good in this game. But if you get penalties, you're not a Fetty without penalties, and I don't like that. All right, Kevin, go ahead. Okay, so um, I went back through and combed through the offensive line pass blocking footage, and I noticed the mistakes were coming in a couple of areas for the, especially the specifically the interior of the offensive line. What I noticed was Lewis's biggest problem is he's having a lot of trouble handing off blocks. So if, for instance, he starts off on the uh tackle like if there's a tackle shaded over him he starts off on that guy and as he blocks that guy he gets like lateral movement on him and that guy crosses the center's face he has a tendency to try and keep engaged on that block instead of handing it down the line to Posich and then to Ayapati and Ayapati on the other hand when he starts blocking a guy and that guy starts going to the right towards Lewis he immediately stops blocking and tries to hand the block off. And that's kind of the communication issue that's resulting in a lot of these interior pressures is that you have people kind of fundamentally working from a different thought pattern. And what has to happen is Lewis has to learn how to, how to pass off his blocks. He can't just stay engaged on the same guy um, in the pass blocking scheme. No, that's not and how pass blocking works for sure. Right. Yeah. And Eopati's just a, he's just a savvy veteran. Like he his legs aren't there like they used to be, but I feel like he's still playing pretty decent. Like he's not he's not uh not a huge minus. Very nice to him. I thought he was fine. Very average. He's a very average guard. Like it's not it's not great. I don't I think that's yeah, you're right. Seventy one is a bit generous, but like if they would have said sixty something, I would have been like, okay. So it's yeah, not he up on the ground a few too many times, and I felt like one of the pressures that wasn't credited to him probably could have been. But yeah, yeah, I agree. I, th- I think he's just he's a serviceable NFL guard at this point. And he honestly, it's good to have a veteran Patterson around those young guys. And, you know, you hope Phil Haynes comes back and can kind of win that job. But if he can't, you know, Eopati is going to be fine. It's not Does gonna it be- seem like they're trying to get Simmons worked in there? Because this is the second straight game where he's come in and played like one or two series. Well, Eopati, remember, there's that play where they rolled. Uh, he rolled Dwayne Brown and then he got I feel like he's get. I feel like he picks up these little dings and stuff. You know what I mean? Like okay. he's uh, he's like. Well, he's really his. Like I said, his legs are shot. He's kind of old. Yeah, um, I mean Simmons has been really respectable in those in those little tours of duty. So I've been pretty happy about that too. Yeah. So um, uh, Nick Belor watch zero offensive snaps. Uh, we did use a fullback on one play. It was Jacob Hollister. Uh, okay. Yeah, buddy. That's <laughs> so, that fullback. Um, so yeah, that was that. Uh, we ready to head over to defense? Let's do it. All right, defense. Let's start with the good stuff. Okay, that last play. Oh, yeah. I do think that this is a team that has is really good against the run, and it showed in this game. Uh, they they basically had to abandon the run game completely. They basically had to just admit. And this is a team in New England that run blocks really well. Okay, I, I putting aside the fact that like maybe you don't think Sony Michelle, Rex Burkett, and J.J. Taylor is a trio of running backs that are premier NFL talents, which I disagree with. I think Sony Michelle is actually decent, but the these guys uh, they couldn't get anything going. They had to completely abandon the run because of how good our defense our uh, our defense was stopping the run. The problem was once they abandoned the run, uh, the we could not stop them from catching everything. <laughs> There's a lot of problems in the secondary, uh, and if you just go player by player, I mean. Dunbar got targeted nine times and gave up five catches. Jamal Adams got targeted eight times and gave up six catches. Ugo Amadi, five for six. Griffin, four for six. Wagner, five for five. You know, it's like everyone. Plano, three for three. Everyone got killed. And, you know, if Nikhil Harry is just going off on you, um, the problem <laughs> is the problem is the secondary. It's not, it's not Nikhil Harry is too good. Okay. Now, Julian Edelman getting his is fine, but I don't think, I think, 
eight for 179 is a little bit more than just the normal getting his, especially when he had three drops that I thought he should have caught. And, and he uh, got seven first downs on his eight receptions. Like they were all important plays. None of them were like, oh yeah, he, he just caught it and it didn't matter because we stopped the play in front of us. You know what I mean? Now, two of those drops, I think you'd agree with me. He like the ball was coming he gauged where the DB was. He's like, oh, I'm not getting murdered. Today. He made a he made a business decision on at least one of them. <laughs> he was like, eh, I'm good. I'm good on this one. He just like kind of hit it into the ground. Not today, Satan. <laughs> yeah, but and then like, yeah, if Demir Bird is getting six receptions for 72 yards and five first downs against you, like you need to, we need to tighten the coverage needs to be tightened up, and we can all we can blame the digs thing. And okay, I'm just let's just get into it. Do you guys think that that was a deserved ejection? Yes, and it was a dumb penalty. Yeah, that's he led with his helmet and hit with the crown. Yeah, By the it's... book, there's one. There was one angle where it looks like he didn't lead with his head. All the other angles totally did it. He, I think he's trying to get his head around to the other side. His intent is not to to injure, but Agreed. like if you lower your head like that, you're taking a risk that this is what's going to happen. And it's, and I, I do think he's he's trying to make a good tackle. He's trying to get his head around to their side. He's doing what he's supposed to do, but. And when plays are moving that fast and your head is lowered, this is the risk you take. You heard the story. He actually contacted uh, Nikhil Harry after the um, uh, after the game to be like, that was not my intent. I didn't mean to Diggs. Diggs has said in the past he hates when guys get knocked out of the game. So he's definitely never going to plan a Greg Williams defense. And so (laughs) uh, but but like he'd be like like, bounties for knocking guys out. I don't like this. Uh, I'm out of uh, here. Uh, yeah. uh. So I, but I think that he, he, it's, it's a, it's a risk that you take when you, when you tackle like that and you, sometimes you're going to pay the price and he can continue to tackle like that. And I think most of the time he'll be okay, but there's going to be bang, bang plays, maybe one or two a season that are going to lead to situations like this. And people can say it's soft or whatever, but that's the rule. And if you've been watching college football over the last couple of years, that's pretty textbook. And I think that's why Kevin is so quick to say, yeah, it is what it is. And yet you have to, he got ejected and deserved it because Kevin watches the more college football than anyone I know, except my dad. So, so like, um, you, you've seen it for years, right, Kevin? Like this is how the rule works. You understand how the rule works. And I think a lot of other people are kind of new to this rule, right? They're, what I like is it's one of the few rules that's very clear cut. And so, you know, as soon as you watch the play, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, yep, that's one. Is your, is your head lowered? Yes or no. If your head is lowered, you're already, this is already bad. Then does your crown contact the crown of your helmet contact his helmet with, and then if the answer to that's yes, you're done. That's it. It's like a two-step checklist. It's not very hard. Like, did you yeah. lower your head? Does the crown of your helmet hit his helmet? Okay, well, you're bye. Have a good day. Yeah, the only way that the only way you get out of that if it's one of those things where if the ball carrier is like in control of themselves and they dip and you dip, Which? then you get away with it because you're trying to hit them in the hip and they put their helmet where their hip should be. Right. If the if the ball carrier is bending over, but Nikhil Harry was pretty upright. Yeah, because he's, he's stiff and he can't bend over. Probably probably can't bend at the waist. It's a, it's a problem. So, yeah, I um, just just a tough day all around for the defensive backfield. Um, I think yeah, you know, like the, like I said, you could point to that digs that digs ejection and say like, well, it would have been better with digs there. And I can't disagree. I mean, going from Quandre Diggs to like Jamal Adams playing single high and sixty one snaps of Lano Hill is not my favorite. Not even yeah, a compounding bit. that with the Blair injury too, um, which came you know not that long after. later. And, yeah, uh, and Blair will be out for the season. Tough loss because I think he was really starting to blossom as like a hybrid safety nickel corner. Heartbreaking and heartbreaking. Just just uh, something you don't want to see. Irvin out for the season and an already weakened pass rush is another loss. The thing is, I think Dunbar's play. If we got Dunbar's play out of both outside corners. I think that's sustainable. But Dunbar, yeah. Dunbar, the thing about him was there's a little bit of give and take, right? Like he gave, yep. he gave up some passes, but he had an interception. He had a pass, and he was he was all over a couple. Plays. Yeah, another like, pass breakup where it could have been an interception. That was almost a pick six. That kind of that kind of cornerback play I can live with, as opposed to like guys just getting peppered and beat beat over and over. That that's yeah, Shaq's kind of, looking like 2018 Shaq. It's it's not ideal right now. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going on. I mean, he gave up four receptions. Uh, six yards. The thing I liked about Shaq's plays, even though he didn't have a great day, was every single play he shut it down immediately. 
Like yeah. he didn't, he didn't allow any yards after the catch, which makes me feel a little bit better about it. Um, one thing I like to see is that the, the team really trusted Ugo Amadi to come in and play a lot. I don't know if they had a choice, but, but they, I guess they did have a choice. They could have gone full on three linebackers and put Barton on the field or, uh, or Brooks and said like, Hey, Brooks is going to play 40 snaps. Now we're going to play a lot of four, three. And instead they were like, no. We are Ugo Amadi's coming in. We're still going to play a lot of nickel, and we're we're not going to let them ki- try to you know kill us through the air. And they did. And Amadi was respectable. But, and one thing that I've noticed is that this team, because of its construction with Adams and and Wagner, even with less linebackers on the field, can still easily stop the run. With all these defensive backs on the field, it should not be such a big problem for us to stop the pass. And I think once again, lack of preseason is causing some problems. And I and. I, I ha- I'm optimistic that this defense will turn it around. How about that? It's too talented. That's the thing. With the exception of the pass rush, which I do think huge questions on the pass rush. All we needed in that last drive was one pressure to to get in. Right now, it's very clear who the best pass rusher on the Seahawks is. And who's the second the, best. Who's it's the, Adams and then Wagner. Right. The best pass rushers on the Seahawks are not defensive linemen. It's very clear. Um, LJ Collier, one pressure on 23 pass rushes. Uh, we had uh, Bruce Urban with two on 26. Now he's out for season. Not that that matters. Uh, so that we lost him on that one. The next best pass rusher was like Brian Monet. You know, it's it's not that's not good. We're in, we are in dire straits in terms of pass rush. Your your one true love, Benson Mayoa, with the one pressure on 36 <laughs> pass rush snaps. Uh, he's looking like. Ben, like I expected Benson Mayoa to look. Sorry, Kevin. I'm not, I'm not I am going to openly question the one pressure because uh, my issue with that is apparently they're not counting the one where he almost got a sack. So that's a little odd to me. So, <laughs> But still, two pressures. They count, they, still not great. They did count it. That's a hurry. They gave him a hurry. I think that uh, this, this offensive line that we're facing, though, is one of the best in the game because it's the best coach. This is... This is something Bill Belichick values over everything else, and it shows. Um, I'm willing to think that this defense is going to get better. We still need to manufacture pass rush. With Bruce Irvin gone, I don't know how great he would have been, but I think five sacks this year would have been attainable, and now I don't know where we're going to get five more with the roster we have. Okay, there are The veteran- best of these guys could be that this forces them to actually do something. Oh, yeah. Okay, so the, veter- the veterans available just on the street. Okay, I'm just going to name some names, and I just want you to give me like a yes, no, and if you want, you can give me like one sentence about explaining why. All right, let's start with Clay Matthews. No, because he's not good. I'd Derek. be willing to take a flyer if we could get him for the right price. I think if he's cheap, I would say yes. yes. It's, a, it's a kind of a like-for-like like Bruce Irvin replacement. All right, how about Jabal Sheard? Uh, yes, because he's can actually play all parts of the position. Uh, I'd be okay with that. Again, uh, I wouldn't want to spend too much, but I'd spend more than Clay Matthews. Um, I, I am skeptical of uh, of Jabal Sheard just in general, but I'd probably be just it's the same thing as Matthews. It's kind of a like for like replacement uh, for Irvin, uh, except for he he probably can't play any of the stand up linebacker stuff like Matthews could, but not the, I don't think that matters. Jordan Brooks is probably going to fill in that role. Uh, okay, how about uh, Cameron Wake? Yes, because he's really good at pressing the passer. Yeah, I I don't know how much Cameron Wake has left in him, but hell yeah, let's go. Um, Cameron Wake last year was uh, not the best, but he's also like 39, and I'm just scared that at this point he I mean, can't he had thir- be 39. He had, he? Yeah, but he had 31 pressures and 181 pass rush snaps last year. That's right. way be- that's way better than anyone on our team's going to do. As long as they can keep him on a pitch count, so he doesn't get like his legs shot, you know, so he's not terrible. Yeah, like 15 to 20 pure pass rush snaps a game. Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm in on Cameron Wake completely. I actually think Cameron Wake's the best guy we've said so far, probably in yes. terms of fit. All right. Um, is, who else is for agent? Uh, Snacks Harrison. <laughs> uh, yes. Just because yeah. he's actually good at football, but it doesn't I, help the pass rush. I don't think it, I don't think, I think it's a luxury piece. I don't think we need it at all. Like it fills on, it doesn't fill a need. We have good, we have good, um, I got one for you. I laughed at that yeah, because that's a name we've been throwing around, but there's, we had every opportunity to sign him and didn't do it. Recently pulled off suspension, Muhammad Wilkerson. Uh, I will take not? a flyer on him. Why not? Uh, I trust our team. Like one thing I've said before is I trust our team to do their homework and then 
know that know whether or not a guy fits their team culture. So if like he's not going to fit the team culture, he'll never end up on the team, right? Yep. It, we we haven't had a guy like just flame out. Well, I mean we have him, but it takes years, right? It takes. Well, we years haven't had him. that since Percy Harvin, where a guy just showed up and wasn't a fit. Yeah, he just it takes years for a guy to work his way off our roster if they're not like uh, bought in. So yeah, I think it'll be fine. Mike uh, Bennett. No, I I don't. <laughs> I think that Mike Bennett, as soon as he decided to retire, probably did not give one single f about staying in football shape. That's that's just in my opinion. I just think Michael Bennett is the kind of guy who, like, the day he decided he wasn't playing anymore, like, ripped a fat blunt and like ate a bunch of barbecue. You know what I mean? Like, just it was over. <laughs> he's not. He's like, I'm not working out for a month. Like, this is it. We are we are partying. Which good for him. He has made a ton of money in his life and totally, completely deserves it. But I just think that there's no way he's in football shape. That's that's my opinion. Do you think that there's any way he's in football shape? I think there's a way. No way. I don't I don't see it. no way. I'm hundred percent with Nathan. I love the, the barbecue comment especially. I think you can I think you can rip flat buns and eat barbecue and still be in football shape. Ooh, Only uh, if you're Marshawn. <laughs> Only if you're Marshawn. All right, well this uh, anything else you want to hit before we uh we move on to next week? Uh I thought it was a really good bounce back game for um for our boy Puda Ford. I thought Puda Ford um, really blew up some run plays in this one. And in general, I felt like the interior defensive line played a much better game, a much more complete game than they did against Atlanta. I felt like the first half of the Atlanta game, they were questionable. And the second half, they tightened up. And they played this entire game the way they played the second half of the Atlanta game. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move on to Dallas then. It's on to Dallas. So about 15 minutes on Dallas. Actually, Dallas uh, on to us. Yeah, Dallas coming to Seattle this week. Uh, it's the like the star afternoon game. The is it what do they call it? America's game of the week or something like yep. that. Uh, <laughs> so we got a we got America's game of the week, which means we'll get the top lineup. Uh, does that mean we get Buck and Aikman, or is it gonna is of it CBS? Of course we get Buck and Aikman. Aikman's always going to announce a Dallas game. That's the it's going to be insufferable. You're correct. It's, Kevin. it's not it's, it's not CBS. It's it's Fox. Yes. It's, yeah, it's NFC. Uh, well, I mean, sometimes the sometimes we get, but not this I, week. Like, and we are boned. And like once at AFC. Yeah, one once a year or so, we'll get like a good marquee AFC game. Okay, uh, so yep, we'll get Bucking. We'll get Buck and Aikman. It will be. Uh, I actually, think, I think Joe Buck is fine. Uh, he, if you put him with a really good color guy, I think he would be like, like everyone would be like, oh, Joe Buck, perfect. He's a great play by play by. But putting him with Aikman is like is like basically saying like here's a bun and uh and a nice some nice uh mayonnaise got some lettuce some tomato two pieces of crispy bacon and then that's that's joe buck and then we're gonna we gotta get our hamburger right and here is some cat turds that we just slapped right on here no no just... there's no burger it's just a guy talking about a burger he ate 25 years ago <laughs> and how that burger was really good i mean we have a point I can't, I can't, argue, I can't argue with this. I, it is, it the is worst. A, it is a fact. So, man, it's just. You may have sobered it, up a little, though. I hate, I hate Bucket. I hate, I hate Buck and Aikman together. I think it's just like a terrible combo, and it's been together for so long. Well, and, that's because Buck is willing to like play up whoever he's with. He's going to be automatically a hype man for whoever his color commentator is. Um, so they put him with a guy who's his own hype man all the time. So it's a terrible combo. Yeah. Well, all right, let's go. So Dallas, Dallas is, um, has, Bad us. Dallas has been playing pretty average this year, but I think that there's something weird going on there where, um, their coaching is all over the place. Like, let's just talk about Mike McCarthy in this game. Okay. They, they win this game against Atlanta 40 to 39. They definitely don't deserve to win it. They two times they went for it on fourth and short with fake punts. And I'm going to say this, I'm fine with the decision to go for it on fourth down. I actually think it's pretty smart. And I, I will say on this, on the tape analytics spectrum, I'm more on side tape than most people that are sitting in the seat I'm in of like why a football podcaster who didn't play like a ton of football. Right. But like the, the thing is, is that in the tape analytics thing, I'm more on tape tape, but that is stupid. Run an actual play. If you're going to go for it on fourth down. Like just go out there and run a football play. Don't don't come out there with this with this garbage fake punt. Fake punts are terrible plays. Like they 
one that nobody you, he didn't fool anyone you're behind by so much they're ready for that two these plays are like low percentage plays anyway because you're like punter is going to throw the ball or some up back that is going to take a weird direct snap it's just it's so stupid yeah, it's not know. like a fake it's not like a fake field goal where like maybe your placeholder is your backup quarterback or if it's one of those ones where you know it's a fake punt run but you have a guy who can actually run and there's a reason for them to think that like you're going to punt I like fake plays that are reads okay like where yes, you, exactly. you have you have um so when you have a guy you 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 saw something on the tape and you say when you see this on the tape you can run a fake that does X, you know, um, there's a famous story that, uh, that Pat McAfee likes to tell about how they, they had a read where against the Steelers, we can run this fake, we can run this fake, uh, punt run as long as Polamalu doesn't line up in this gap. And then he, and then of course they go out there, he's ready to run it. He's like, I'm gonna get my first touchdown in my career. He runs it and then they're all ready to do it. And then he looks and guess who's sitting in the gap. Polamalu. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, we're not, we're just kicking it. We're not faking <laughs> so, so like I like plays like that though plays that are reads okay reads where you come out and make a read uh famously the Seahawks Michael Dixon made a read where he on his oh, man. on his big balls run that he made uh that was a read he came out he saw what the defense was giving him and he or the special teams was giving him and he said okay I this I was told in practice I could run if I want on this situation so I'm gonna run great and it worked what of course it worked because you knew what you were looking for right just running random fake punts bad that's that you know who does that a lot bad, bad Dallas coach. cowboy teams mr seven and nine himself yep <laughs> that's right the man the myth the legend former rams former titans god okay like so demigod. I'm, I'm like uh, demigod yeah, jeff just you're calling jeff like, fisher a demigod well that. he's he's definitely not full god he's patron saint of man all right. Well, anyway, so, Seahawks right now second in DVOA, first in special teams, second in offense, twenty fourth in defense. I completely agree with these ranks. We have an offense that is clicking on all, firing on all cylinders. Definitely looks like a top five offense. Our special teams has been great. Jason Myers never misses. Our punter is awesome. I'm all about that life. Uh, I think that that's true. Our defense has been subpar. Dallas looks average in every regard to me. And the, and the the advanced stats back that up. Uh, the eye test backs that up. Dak Prescott's a good quarterback. I think he's doing a good job spreading the ball around. There's a lot of weapons on this offense. Ezekiel Elliott looks good. Their offensive line has looked eh, not, not as good shaky. as I, not as good as I yeah a little shaky. Not as good as I expected. Their defense same thing. It looks okay. Not good. Not bad. Um, they're having similar problems to us where you can kind of throw the ball around on him on them. Not great when you face the Seattle Seahawks to have a defense that looks a little shaky and you can throw the ball around a little bit on them. Just going to throw that out there. Uh, look for us to throw the ball around. This is going to be a high-scoring game. I expect points uh, from both teams, uh, and I expect the better offense to be the one that wins out. And, of course, that's our offense. So um, players to watch on Dallas. Of course, you're going to watch Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott is criminally underrated, in my opinion. He is a top 10 maybe even top five nfl quarterback that gets treated like garbage because he plays for a team that everyone hates justifiably so jerry jones is kind of an idiot (laughs) plays for a team that everyone hates and uh and he he isn't like the best and sometimes someone like aikman's gonna talk him up like he's actually number one and that's ridiculous okay put him where he belongs between fifth and tenth okay (laughs) that that's that's what that's what you should do but watch Dak he's really good he makes good choices with the ball he spreads it around I like it um and then I think Alden Smith the Alden Smith uh recovery story has been interesting he's played 115 snaps already this year he has one sack five pressures I think he they might have uh like lucked into something a little bit Dallas by taking on all these like malcontents is that he might be uh he might be their best edge player well, no, they have Demarcus Lawrence still, but he might be their second best edge player. They also have Everson Griffin. Yeah, I don't, I I am uh okay. I think Everson Griffin has looked decent in the tape that I watched, but I'm not sure that like I think that he'll have a tough day, especially if he lines up against Dwayne Brown. I don't think he'll do much of anything against Dwayne Brown. Um he doesn't seem like he has that. And also like he was playing against Atlanta and I thought like, oh, he'll blow Atlanta up a bunch of times. And he, he got some pressures, but he wasn't like in their backfield all the time. You know what I mean? And against I mean, he had Whit- their only sack. 
And against Whitworth in week one, like he didn't do anything. You know, the media has been firing him up this week. And I'll say this, Whitworth is like a thousand years old. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) In general, the Dallas defensive line hasn't really been playing that well. Uh, Honestly, their pressure numbers are really similar to ours. And their sack numbers are really similar to ours. And I don't know if you know this or not, but those aren't good numbers. Yeah, they're... Their defense looks like a, a our defense, but playing slightly better, but with worth, worse talent. Does that make sense? Well, I think the big thing is their defensive backs have worse talent, which means that you don't necessarily think they're ever going to make a leap. And so even though they have Griffin and they have Alden Smith and they have um, Demarcus Lawrence, it doesn't matter because like there's just going to be an open guy. So when they do get through for a pressure, you know, it's going to be two and a half seconds to get there and Russ is going to have time to find Lockett or, I mean, they got gashed hard by Russell Gage in the slot. Well, that's going to be Tyler Lockett in the slot. They got gashed hard by Ridley outside. Well, that's going to be DK outside. This seems really bad. Diggs, Lewis, and Awuzie got killed by those two guys. I think there's a good chance they get killed by our two guys. All right. Um, Eric, do you have strong opinions about uh, about Dak Prescott? Do you? How about this? Do you get a little bit of like sh- sh- Schadenfreude? Is that how you say that? Schadenfreude. <laughs> about do you do you do you get that a little bit when you think about how Jerry Jones really screwed up and could have gave Dak like thirty something million, and now he's gonna have now that now that contract is is gonna have to start with like a forty. You know what I mean? It's gonna start with a four probably if he wants Dak back. Oh, yeah. Does that make you? F- well, I don't do ever you- lose any sleep over what the Cowboys don't do because Jerry Jones is going to do what he wants to do and things fall in his lap and then he mismanages it so well for anyone who hates him that he doesn't have any chance of winning it. It's, it's I mean, pretty awesome. I mean, CD lamb, like what a gift to just fall yes. to him in his lap and CD lamb is so good. That's a guy to watch this week. CD lamb is just, he's just incredible and he falls into Jerry's lap. This happens to Dallas all the time because they they do something that most teams don't do, which is they just draft the best player. They don't care. They have Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper. They easily could have said, you know what? CeeDee Lamb's really good, but we're set at wide receiver. We don't need CeeDee Lamb. Jerry Jones is like, screw that. This is the best guy. Let's just get the best guy. Yeah, I mean, Jerry Jones, Why don't- <laughs> like all the things he said about Mark uh, Al Davis, rather, like, you know, he would call down to the coach and say, throw a Hail Mary on this play. I feel like Jerry Jones is just telling uh, – uh, what's his name? The coach, Mike McCarthy. Yeah, I was going to say hopeless. He's just telling hopeless. This is what I want to see. Okay, you're my coach, and I expect you to do it. I go out and win. Um, He's a pretty good GM, though. I mean, like the Dallas has been consistently pretty decent for a really long time. Like, I, I think there's there's a lot worse. You could do a lot worse than Jerry Jones as your GM. They're like I'm the saying. Chargers when the Chargers had Philip Rivers and Ladainian Tomlinson. Like, very good team for a number of years. Lots of squandered seasons. Because so they like have- so like the Cowboys when the Cowboys had Romo, <laughs> precisely, and, Kevin. And you know the reason is is because they have to have a coach that Jerry Jones feels like is a pushover, so he can so he can bury that yes. coach when they when they play bad. Yeah, even uh, he couldn't get uh, Bill Parcells. Really is Al Davis play ball. Yeah, it's it's kind of it's a shame if you love Dallas. For me, I think it's just awesome because they're going to compete, but they're really not going to do a whole lot. They're going to go. They're going to win nine to eleven games make the playoffs and probably lose in the first game. Looking at this Sunday's game though, I think that this, you know how last week we talked about how, you know, depending on the on the defense we're facing, the team we're facing, you may see more running plays. I think this is a game where we run the ball a lot if we have the opportunity. It's, it's certainly early to keep Dallas honest with their pass rush and their blitzing. I think it's going to be something to look forward to, especially if you have like Chris Carson on your fantasy team. I think right. instead what we should look for is like those quick slant plays, those quick hitters, because that's what we've been using, or like yes. the screens to Carson on the outside or to David Moore. Honestly, I would I'd know Russ is pulling off the double slant a few times this year, and it's just gorgeous. I'm so happy that he's doing it and doing it successfully. The other thing is I think we're going to be leaning heavily on Bobby and most likely Adams playing box safety um, because – where Dallas has been doing a lot of its damage is right in that like 10 to 20 yard range in the middle of the field. So we're going to be leaning on our midfield zone defenders, which probably means a lot of Bobby and a lot of Jamal. 
but I'm really comfortable with them trying to throw into Bobby and Jamal a lot because I feel like that's just kind of going into the teeth of our defense. I think uh, if you're producer Brett, you may want to parlay a blitz sack by Ugo Amadi. Ooh. Uh, all right. So uh, that's it. What? Um, oh, picks. Here we go. Uh, Seahawks 38, Dallas 28. Um, Kevin. Um, I'm going to go Seahawks 41, Dallas 32. Man, if this really was a home game and we had a crowd, I could get behind that. As it stands, I think it's going to be 42-38 Seahawks. Yeah, I, I could see it being closer as well, Eric. I like it. And that sucks. <laughs> All right. There are many ways to support the Seahawks Nest podcast. The best way to do so, head over to patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest. And for as little as $1.24 a month, get access to our Picks podcast full of jokes. Uh, thank you to those people who are supporting Lucas, Timothy, Ryan, Cooper, James, Brett, Carrie, Tom, Michael, Brandon, Nick, Foles, Emmanuel, Jay, Bob, Richard, Kieran, Mike, Flocktimus, Keith, and Michelle. Also, if you're not in the Discord yet, get in the Discord. That's the other great benefit. We're in there chatting every week, streaming the games, uh, watching them together. Uh, it's been a lot of fun so far. Uh, and also, uh, if you don't have any money, you're broke like me because of many reasons. Head over to iTunes. Give us a review. Uh, go to your favorite podcast app. Give us five stars. It helps us more than you could know. Uh, thank you guys for supporting the Seahawks Nest podcast. All right. We're going to do a short movie club. We've only got like nine minutes because our, our goal is to hit an hour, guys. So here we go. Uh, we're going to talk about a 1995 erotic drama directed by Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> Showgirls. You got you to slow it down if you're going to say erotic drama. Showgirls was the first and only oh, NC-17 rated film given a wide release in mainstream theaters. Did you know that? Got a gaping release. I think I did know that. Oh, Kevin. Um, I don't. Uh, I, I don't know what's really like. Anyway, whatever. So. What do you guys, what do you, okay, first of all, Kevin, uh, let's start with you. Cause I think that you, uh, you have, um, thought about this. Yeah. Recently. I, this, I like Paul Verhoeven and I think this movie stinks <laughs> and I understand like a lot of people put it on like the fun, bad list of movies. I don't think it's a fun, bad movie. I think it's a movie that was trying to do something. And I think that it did what it was trying to do, but I feel like it, it, um, it was failed in a lot of areas. Um, Elizabeth Berkeley was a terrible lead, in my opinion. Uh, I feel like Kyle MacLachlan was a really weird pick um, for the role that they had him in. I feel like there was a lot of very weird miscasting. And I feel like the very end of the movie was such a hard left turn that it kind of broke the movie for me. I think one thing I think that doesn't okay one I think this movie is like kind of misinterpreted they one come on she's like slamming ketchup bottles into tables and the the dialogue when you read listen to it and think about it this is not supposed to be like a super serious drama it's it's like it's like a it's like a campy over the top comedy kind of thing and it's not I wouldn't say it's like out and out funny, you know, because there's not jokes in the movie, but it's it's supposed to be campy. It's supposed to be cheesy. It's like a it's like an exploitation film. You know what I mean? Yes. Where like this movie is supposed to be and this it's movie sat- makes you tired of seeing boobs and it's satire of like the, that star is born story, you know, like a star is born where it's like, OK, this they're making fun of like this person who's trying to come and become a star. Right. And it, they're making fun of this idea. They're satiring this idea. This is what and they actually look like. This is what actually happens. The thing is, is if this movie was 111 minutes, I would think it's good. Instead, I just think it's merely like average and kind of it's boring because it's too long. They they really like hang on for like way too long in this movie. But I don't think it's I don't think it's as out and out bad as as uh, as you do, Kevin, because I think there's some, like when she slams that ketchup on the table, I just laugh every time. Like I've seen this movie three times and like that part just cracks me up. It's like, I don't know. It's OK. I'll say it, though. Fine. Because uh, there's no spoilers on a 25 year old movie uh, when it takes a hard left into a sexual assault revenge thriller. OK, yeah, that 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 killed the movie for me, because before then it was like two out of five. Um, it kind of misses the mark, but it's like awkwardly funny and quirky and weird. And then all of a sudden they're like the last like 20, 30 minutes of the movie. They're like, you know what? Sexual assault revenge thriller. 
That's what this was missing. No, it wasn't Paul Verhoeven. You lost me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's fair. I think it's fair. I think that I think that's fair. That is the worst part of the movie, and like, and it's the end note. <laughs> I I think like, but the like the camp of this movie is I think worthy of like, it's not. You're right. They should have just stopped some point earlier. They should have found a different ending and stopped earlier because you're right. That the the last bit of the movie is just silly. Uh, it's just they way try off. and like make this this deep like almost a twist with Crystal and and how she wanted to pull everything off. It's it's kind of like what what is going on here? It's nothing interesting. It just seems like it was trying to be interesting. I don't feel like the movie is too self aware to be so bad it's good it's just it's just not good it's very this i it doesn't act self-aware but i definitely think they knew what they were doing the the writer director combo here like they're aware of what they were trying to do it's it's camp on purpose it's not i mean they made basic instinct they made together you know they, there they was knew a clear what, aim i agree they're, they're aiming for a thing i i'm not saying that they hit their mark that's why i would give this movie like a two or two and a half out of five but I just think like out and out garbage is strong for me. And I think a lot of people deride this movie like super hard when maybe they should just like some people are way too into this movie too. like go the other yes. way and like give it five stars. Um, Quentin Tarantino says this is a great film. Uh, so like that, like not like this isn't like idiots saying that like this is people who are very serious about film. And uh, well, it's a popcorn know. movie. I don't know. No, it's not a popcorn movie. It's <laughs> it just it's just different than any other movie like this too. Like uh, any other like campy, over the top like critique uh, satire movies, they don't they don't act like this movie. You know what I mean? It's well, it, let's say it. Paul it tries... does that like commentary so well. Right, RoboCop. That scene in the that scene in RoboCop where the where the robot shoots all of everyone in the boardroom. Ed Tool, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, that scene that that scene it. That scene, I think, perfectly encompasses like what he was trying to apply to drama here, but just kind of he missed a he missed a little bit. It was a, uh, it was not a, uh, yeah. He took he took a shot. It was not. Sometimes you sometimes you miss a hundred percent of shots you don't take, right? Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't. I, I can't say anything else about that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's tough. It's tough for me to. It's tough for me to evaluate this movie because I see what I see both sides of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm in the middle. I see why people like it. I see why people give it five stars. I think that's a little intense. I see why people hate it. I see why everything is stupid. But I just like I think they're they're both kind of right. <laughs> well, that's the thing is I don't I don't hate it because I think it's a dumb movie. I hate it because I think it misses. And I think it misses in a really unappealing way. Like at the, the beginning scene when she slams a ketchup bottle and like when she randomly meets Crystal and Crystal's trying to be super nice to her and she's just being a horrible person. And then uh -huh. Crystal's like, you should move in with me. Yeah. And you're like, what pills are you on, Crystal? This is an amazing turn of events. And like like scenes like that or the um the sleazy like DJ guy who uh, is going to put her in a movie or whatever. And then you realize like wrote a movie for every girl in the entire club or and like the weird, uh, like hooker who's on her way out and she's going to be the next thing kind of thing. I'm like, going to make, those I'm are gonna all make great storylines. I'm going to make a recommendation. <laughs> okay. Yeah, to people is that if you want to think about this movie more, there's a documentary film about, about showgirls called you don't know me um <laughs> yes. and and uh it, <laughs> i have not heard of this it's probably better than the movie showgirls um and it, it's kind of why i i kind of changed because i used to think this movie was really uh bad like i used to be on like team kevin where i was like this is garbage and i think this movie pushed me in a, into the middle it didn't push me all the way over but that's because the last half hour still exists um but like i i'm like i kind of um I kind of respect what they were trying to do. Does that make sense? I yeah. respect the effort enough to be like, okay, this isn't just utter trash. It's it's something more than that. Anyway, tell us what you think of Showgirls. Uh, 
tell us if you, uh, you know, maybe saw it when you were like 14 and it changed your life forever for Kevin, for, 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 that's, I think that's the real purpose of this movie for Kevin, for Eric. We will see you guys next week. Go Hawks.